And that music can only mean one thing. The Delaware Valley Journal is on the air. The official podcast of DelawareValleyJournal.com, where we cover Bucks, Chester, Delaware, and Montgomery counties for you. Hope you're getting our twice-a-week newsletter and checking out the podcast. Share them with your friends. They can hear the dulcet tones of news editor Linda Stein. Linda, welcome. Hi, Michael. I I wouldn't say my tones are exactly dulcet today. (laughs) Well, you've been doing a lot. By the way, I, I, I'm told that I always forget to introduce myself. I'm Michael Graham. I'm the managing editor of Inside Sources and Delaware Valley Journal, and we are delighted to be here. And so what the heck happened Tuesday night? Here to make sense of what uh, Dave Wasserman at Cook Political Report says is the craziest election night he's ever seen. We have the lovely and talented Charlie O'Neill, political guru, strategist, et cetera, extraordinaire. Thanks for joining us again, Charlie. Thanks for having me, Michael. So what the heck happened Tuesday night? Well, I think one of the things that we saw right off the bat is that the candidate matters. Um, And when you have a candidate uh, like Doug Mastriano at the top of the ticket, who's, you know, losing spectacularly 13 and a half points, um, what you do is you create a drag that almost becomes unsustainable. Um, the fact that, that, that uh, Mastriano is losing by that type of a margin. What type of a crazy. margin was the last, like, how are we wrapping this up? Uh, so what I have the latest from the Department of State is that Mastriano is going to be losing by 13.43%. Um, which is just, I mean, that's nothing close to what President Trump had um, if you, in 2020. If you look at the numbers for Oz, a little bit closer. Um, so if we were to kind of compare um, Mehmet Oz with President Trump, what we would see is that on a percentage basis, they're, they're very similar, um, although even still, Oz underperforms uh, Trump by... 1.78 points, so almost two points. Um, what we saw was not even coattails, but reverse coattails. Um, you had a strong candidate in Josh Shapiro. You had a weak candidate in Mastriano. That just spelled disaster. Um, on top of that, I, I really think that messaging became a major problem on the Republican side. Um, now I've got to interrupt you out there because all of the establishment, you know, guru types that uh, we've been speaking to have been saying the opposite, which is, oh, the Democrats' message is awful. They're off message. The message should be economy, crime, uh, you know, energy prices, and they're talking about these boutique, you know, white suburban issues like abortion and whether or not you think our, you know, democracy, you know, democracy is at risk. So I thought it was the Democrats who blew the messaging. Well, it certainly appeared that way, but I think the Democrats made a stronger argument on the personal level. Um, you know, Shapiro was running on his vision for what Pennsylvania could look like. Uh, I'm still not really sure what Mastriano's message was. Um, could I tell you why Mehmet Oz was running for Senate? Because uh, he wanted it, right? Um, I could tell you why John Fetterman was running for Senate because he wants to be a voice for all Pennsylvanians be a voice for working people. He wants to, you know, raise minimum wage. He wants to have everyone with a fair paycheck. He wants to lower taxes as odd as that sounds. Mm -hmm. And while we all know from, you know, folks that really follow this, that John Fetterman is indeed a fraud. He's never worked a day in his life. He comes across very strongly. He comes across Mm -hmm. as a good candidate. 
he comes across sure. as someone that, that Charlie, had a vision. What about marijuana? Was that like the stealth issue with Fetterman? Because I know people that voted for him specifically because of uh, his wanting to legalize marijuana. Yeah, I, I do think that, Linda, I do think the marijuana played a role, especially um, with the, uh, the, there are Republicans that want to see it legalized. There are, of course, Republicans that don't. Um, I think that one of the things that John Fetterman did a phenomenal job of while he was lieutenant governor was building a name for himself. And he had that marijuana listening tour that you may recall um, back in, uh, in 2019. Hey, if it's a marijuana listening tour, nobody can recall it. You know what I'm saying? Well, uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. That it's like how many, problem. how many fish concerts have you been to? Uh, yeah. I got to yeah. count. <laughs> so, uh. and, and I, I appreciate that you bring that up. What, what John Fetterman had done Linda, is he spent his time as Lieutenant governor building name ID for him across the state. He built a reputation. He got into these communities and held these quote unquote listening sessions. And, and he knew what he wanted to hear, right? He wanted to hear that we need to legalize marijuana. And so he was able to move uh, Tom Wolf in that direction. But through that kind of introduction to places in Pennsylvania that did not know him, um, he was able to really kind of show himself as, as a leader on that issue um, and almost get something done on that. What, what's phenomenal to me, I think, is that Fetterman just never really got a proper vetting as a candidate. He just never really was held to a high standard. There were a lot of issues with this guy. And I think part of the problem is, and, and I, I had said this and I cautioned about Mastriano on this, and, and even though it did not end up becoming true, what happens sometimes with a candidate is there are, you know, we can tell you that there are 20 things wrong with them and we want to use all 20. Right. And you can't use all 20. Nope. And so, you know, with President Trump in, in 2016, especially, everything was being thrown at the guy. So nothing stuck. Exactly. And I think with Fetterman, we were running into a very similar situation. Everything was being thrown at the guy, but nothing stuck. I do think if that debate had been held a little earlier in the process before mail-in voting, I think we're looking at a little bit different of a situation there too. I think that um, Oz did not capitalize on that debate the way that he should have. Um, you know, his lack of being able to um, articulate his message in that debate was astounding. And one of the, the commercials that I noticed him running towards the end of this race were speeches that he was given and there was a date at the bottom. And these mm -hmm. dates were all after that debate appearance. And right. so they were really trying to do a good job of saying that he he can be articulate. He knows what he's talking about. Right. He can give a speech. He can be a functioning, um, you know, senator. And so they they really worked hard on that those last couple of weeks. And I, I think what they did was they convinced enough discerning Democrats that know he is capable of doing the job and his ideas are better than Oz's. And, and that's ultimately what I think happened. So, you know. Um, I, I don't, I, some keep saying that it was the abortion that caused us to lose in Pennsylvania. I don't really know that it was. Um, there's no real move afoot to change the abortion conversation. Um, at this point in time, the, the only legislative moves have been to really do an amendment process. Um, so I, I don't know that that animated as much as some are saying. I know it did move some numbers. Um, but ultimately, what we saw were, you know, 
there were victories for Republicans last night. In Bucks County, Frank Perry is going to be um, a member of the Pennsylvania Senate. We saw that um, Tracy Pennychuk is going to replace Senator Bob Minch as a Republican in the Senate. Uh, I do think that Senator Katie Muth would have probably lost that race with a stronger top of the ticket. I think she was very much saved by uh, by Shapiro right. from Montgomery County and what's going on there. Um, I, I do think that race would have been much closer with better candidates at the top of the ballot. So, OK, so let's uh, go back to the abortion thing, because I actually uh, disagree with you. I think that abortion was the nitrous oxide in the tank. It didn't start the car. It didn't tell the car where to go, but it gave Democrats a turnout boost that could not be matched. I think in the post Dobbs decision world, we're just going to see a different uh, place, particularly in places that have a large uh, college educated white population like the southeastern corner of Pennsylvania, the Delaware Valley. One mm -hmm. of the things that I heard frustration from from some national Republicans is like if uh, in Nevada, uh, Republicans prevail, it'll be in part because the hammering of the abortion issue, while it did move some suburban white college educated women towards the Democrats, it also drove some, you know, people of faith, people who take social issues seriously, regular church attendees, et cetera, in the Hispanic and black community away. Basically it, it was set them on fire. And there are places in Pennsylvania where probably, you know, the more, that it was nonstop abortion talk, the more it reminded people who are loosely in the Democratic coalition, like, say, evangelical black voters, geez, I, I want to be part of the we love abortion party. That's just one of those topics we don't talk about. Uh, but, you know, because the population in this in the Delaware Valley is so overwhelmingly white and disproportionately college educated, I think it, that issue just helped. And like you said, in cases, races like the state Senate race with uh, Katie Muth, you know, her that 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 issue. I, I suspect had a, a boost impact where she needed it to be. I, she, I she ran a commercial um, saying that she's for abortion rights and uh, Republicans are, are trying to silence her. Good point. Yeah, I think there may be a case there in, in the Southeast seats that abortion did uh, move the needle a little bit. What I do think is at the end of the day, where Republicans need to kind of refine the message on this is what do we stand for on abortion and where is that limit? You know, when I had talked with um, some state legislators um, in, in the summer and, and into the fall about it, you know, the discussion was where is the line? Right now in Pennsylvania, it's at 24 weeks. Right. Um, I think there's universal agreement, even amongst voters, that 24 weeks is far too late. Um, so do we make that 20 weeks? Is it 16 weeks? Is it 18 weeks? Um, that probably should be moved. What you were seeing from the Democrats was that rather than the discussion being centered around where the Republican conversation has been, which is where is the limit? Where do we draw mm -hmm. the line? They were pushing, they want to totally ban it. Right. And they got ahead of that conversation and they want it. Mm -hmm. And so I think moving forward, I really wonder what that's going to look like because what you're going to end up seeing is that, you know, nothing's changing for, especially with, um, with Shapiro as governor, nothing's going to change for abortion law in Pennsylvania. And if things hold the way they are, uh, the state house isn't even going to, uh, to go Republican. That's going to be Democrat. So that uh, constitutional amendment likely isn't to get passed as well. So how long 
for how long can the Democrats hold the specter of if you don't vote for us, you're going to lose abortion access um, because nothing's going to change. It's going to stay where it is going to be status quo. And so, you know, one thing we know in politics is oftentimes fighting for the status quo just doesn't simply get it done. And what they had voters believing was that Republicans were going to change the status quo. And it, I just don't see this being a winner for them in the future. Um, I also think it's, it's really important to note that in states where abortion bans or abortion restrictions have been tightened, all those governors won re-election. Um, so it certainly kind of, I think, shows you that there's more polarization on the issue than we've ever seen before. Um, and so when it comes to Republican messaging on this, I think it's going to have to start focusing back to what we actually stand for on it and what Democrats actually stand for on it. And I just I don't see it being as hot button of an issue in 2024. Well, Charlie, one other issue that the Democrats have um, an ace up their sleeve is um, the Act 77 mail-in ballots that they seem to have um, used predominantly compared to the Republicans. So what do you think? Should that get changed? Um, well, it's not going to. Um, Act 77 isn't going anywhere. You know, Act 12, the reform piece of that isn't going anywhere. Um, Act 88 appears to have had its uh, desired effect by um, requiring counties to count throughout the night. And it seems like we actually um, ended up in a situation where, you know, mail-in votes were being reported rather quickly um, because of the pre-canvassing. Um, so it, it's just simply, it's not going anywhere. It's not mail-in ballots are here to stay. But I want to ask you about the premise of her question, which is, do you think that it creates more votes or does it simply move votes earlier? You know, I mean, again, it's the same net number of of people who are going to vote anyway. Well, what I was going to say, you know, prior to tonight, since Act 77, there have been eight statewide elections or have been eight statewide elections and Republicans had won five of them. And so since Act 77, Republicans were five for eight. So we were hitting over 50%. Um, now, obviously, tonight, that number is it's going to be, um, you know, we're going to have a loss too. So it's going to be 10 races. Um, five have been won by Republicans. Five have been won by Democrats. So is it, impo- is it impossible to win in an Act 77 environment? No, absolutely not. Is it harder? Yeah, sure it is. Um, it does shift the votes for, you know, for sure. People are voting earlier, they're getting their votes in, and it is heavily skewed Democrat. What Republicans need to figure out how to do is to get folks to either trust the system and vote early and vote by mail, or they need to figure out, you know, how they can overcome with a get out the vote effort on election day. I just don't see Um, there being a a sustainable path forward for Republicans to continue to eschew mail-in voting, uh, to continue to push that back. Um, You know, you look at states like Texas, you look at states like Florida, which went heavily Republican, they have early voting, a little bit different from mail-in voting, you can actually go to a precinct and vote. Um, Would it shock me if there's some conversation about adding uh, early voting to the process? No. Um, and I think that maybe it's something to look at. Maybe it's something that Republicans to this point have been resistant to, um, but I'm not so sure that they should be, because the earlier you can get your votes in, the better off you'll be on election day, the less ground you have to make up. And uh, what we showed here today was that Fetterman had created a lead 
He had built a lead from mail-in votes and Oz could not make it up on election day. Um, I think that Mastriano is a different story. Mastriano was just trounced by such a number that the mail-ins, the in-person just simply doesn't matter. One of the things that I think was fascinating is that if you look at the raw numbers is where they stand now, um, Josh Shapiro actually outperformed Joe Biden in some counties uh, in 2022 from Joe Biden's wow. raw numbers in 2020. Wow. Um, counties Jeez. like Westmoreland, uh, like Butler, like Cambria, these are counties that you wouldn't suspect that uh, would be flipping so much, but there's actually at least 20 counties that Shapiro's raw vote total is higher than that of Joe Biden's. Um, well, so in that case, this... oh, well, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. There was a split in the Republican Party, too, which didn't help Mastriano, um, with a lot of establishment Republicans supporting Shapiro and even fundraising for him. Oh, Not sure. And, and the money. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what you're seeing is that, you know, when you lose by 13 and a half points, um, there was a reason for that. There was a reason why these folks were supporting um, Shapiro. They they saw the writing on the wall and, and they didn't believe in Mastriano. He didn't make a case that he could win. Um, and, and I think that's what did it. Oz, on the other hand, was making a case that he could win. He came darn close, um, but unfortunately he's going to fall short. And so um, there's there's a definitely a difference between those two campaigns. But what you see is Shapiro was able to reach across the aisle and and get Republicans to vote for him in a way that Oz was not able to communicate with Democrats. And, and that ultimately is part of his downfall as well. Um, and I think that that Mastriano was a drag on on uh, on Oz. I really do. Um, I don't know that he's a, a, a two point drag on Oz, but I think he's, he's definitely a drag that there, there was, um, there's definitely a correlation between that. Now, uh, since we're circling back to Oz, um, one thing that is a little bit curious to me is um, why did Pennsylvanians not take to Oz um, as a transplant candidate, yet New Yorkers took to Hillary Clinton and made her their senator and she was a carpetbagger. Yeah, I, I think that Oz was slow on the draw in terms of his residency, even in the primary. Uh, he didn't embrace it quite like uh, he should have. And, and um, I, I think a little bit back to in 2018 when um, John Shrin was running against Matt Cartwright. And I remember uh, reminded of he went to an editorial meeting and the first thing that he had to do at the editorial meeting was pull out his driver's license to show that he actually lived in Pennsylvania. Um, oh, that's and, funny. And so I, I remember at that very moment thinking, he's not going to knock off Cartwright. He's not going to win. Um, because there is still a lot of colloquialism in Pennsylvania. People want to know that you're from here. And I just don't think that Oz spent enough time drilling down on the fact that, you know, he went to school in Pennsylvania, he was educated in Pennsylvania, he did not do enough trying to tie himself to the state, you know, and I'm, I'm not one to think that the crudite comment is something that pushed him over the edge, right? But it but it didn't help, right? He wasn't helping himself. So it, it's a kind of a little thing here and a little thing there and a little thing there. And it just begins to snowball. 
and Fetterman's able to run with that carpetbagger. Um, I also have found that Democrats are far more willing to vote for someone on strictly ideological grounds than conservatives uh, and independents. And so I think that, you know, Hillary Clinton being a carpetbagger, no big deal. She's a celebrity, uh, you know, politician. Oz was not a celebrity politician. He was a celebrity right. who tried to run for office. So I think there's a little bit of a difference there. Um, I, I had initially thought that perhaps Mastriano was going to bring folks out to vote that would help Oz, but right. at the end of the day, the numbers don't seem to indicate that at all. So let's wrap up by talking about the uh, Delaware Valley itself and specific races. You mentioned uh, you know, a couple, but what, what do you think was a big story? Were there any state house races, for example? You're talking about the Democrats taking control of the house. Did uh, they not get their job done in the uh, southeastern corner? Yeah, there there are a few losses in the southeast that I think were expected. Um, it, it was, you know, I think there were there was hope that a couple were going to turn around. I know Todd Stevens is in a very tight race right now. You know, Chris Quinn was was always in jeopardy. Um, Craig Williams it looks like you know he'll be fine, but um, you know when you lose a stalwart like Tim Hennessy in in Chester County, someone who's who's been there a very long time, you know you start digging yourself a hole. Um, there was a new seat that was created in Center County, um, which the Democrats were able to pick up. Um, so that, you know, again, puts you in, in a hole. Um, Allegheny County, there were, there were a couple of seats there that did not go our way. We definitely lost some ground there. Um, and then there were some seats that were, you know, maybe potential pickups out West that just didn't come through. Um, so, you know, that, that the Southeast certainly played a role in that. Although again, the Southeast is so, uh, you know, in the blue corner that, you know, you had to expect those. I think what wasn't expected was the, the rest of the state and the West and where there were pickup opportunities, but they just didn't come through. Well, was it the redistricting then that um, tilted it? 110%. I mean, redistricting absolutely changed the game a little bit here. Um, you know, the, the Democrats were able to draw districts that favored them, um, that were able to, I mean, if you just look at it in terms of incumbents, right, you had 12 Republican incumbents that were running against each other. You had four Democrats. Uh, that's a, a, a disparate number. And so the, the map was drawn in such a way that the House was going to be competitive. Um, and that's ultimately what happened. And so, you know, these these seats were drawn with intentional purpose and, you know, they achieved that purpose. Um, you look at the Senate, um, which those seats were definitely way more on that kind of 50-50 scale. And, you know, we see a Senate that is returning about back where it was. Um, so, you know, it's, it's uh, the, the, the House map was way more gerrymandered and, and you see the results. Um, so I expect that if, you know, we're in a situation in 10 years from now, um, where the Democrats control the redistricting process, I, I would expect that Senate map is going to be, uh, very aggressively gerrymandered like the, like the house map was. Wow. Well, we will have plenty to talk about over the next 10 years and how we get there. Sure. Um, but, but there, there are long, there are long memories on that. And I, and I can assure you there are are probably some Democrats that are kicking themselves for not being more aggressive with gerrymandering in the Senate. Um, but because uh, it worked in the House, it worked exactly as they had hoped. Um, Charlie O'Neill, so thanks so much for joining us here on the Delaware Valley Journal podcast. We really appreciate your time. 
Thanks. Have a great day, guys. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of the Delaware Valley Journal on the air. If you enjoyed the podcast, please share it with your friends, post it on social media. And if you haven't, sign up for our twice a week newsletter so you don't miss any of the terrific content from DelawareValleyJournal.com. Thanks again. I'm your host, Michael Graham.